we're up over a thousand volunteers now, about a thousand and fifty. Incredible. Uh, seeing uh, a steady stream of people signing up, uh, so you know the number's still going up. You know, as you would expect with that number of people, some people are more active than others. You know, but everybody's be given access to our Slack environment to help them to get engaged. Uh, in terms of the number of projects, we've had over 250 projects that have been submitted to us, and more than half of them we've you know, either started work on or we've completed and delivered. Again, we're still seeing a pretty steady stream of new projects coming in. So again, this reinforces, you know, gives our confidence that this is something that has, that has legs, that is sustainable. Welcome to the first ever How I Built This, the podcast dedicated to telling the stories of Scottish tech companies, what they do and how they came into existence. So I'm delighted to have Alistair Forbes on the show. Uh, he's a veteran of the Scottish technology scene uh, and founder of the Scottish Tech Army. First of all, Alistair, thank you very much for joining. This is uh, the very first How I Built This. Great stuff, breaking new ground. Well, thanks for the invitation. Uh, happy to join you. No worries. I suppose just the quick background. I mean, I'm sure some people will recognize your name. You've been in Scottish technology for a while. You've kind of been involved in various companies, actually, um, and now do some investment as well. But I mean, what is your kind of background in, in Scottish technology, just for anyone that doesn't know who you are? Yeah, I'm sure there must be some people out there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, my um, background is very much in the, the tech sector, um, based in Scotland, and for the last 20 years or so, it's been in the early stage tech scene. Prior to that, it was in larger corporate kind of environments. But year 2000, decided to run away and join the circus and uh, joined the dot-com startup, um, which was a lot of fun for a short space of time. But yeah, um, in the period since then, I've been involved with a fair number of early stage companies in a variety of different guises. So that includes being a, a founder of some of those and taking them through the scaling process and ultimately, in, in one case, to um, reasonably sizable exit. And so as a result of that, you know, our business was, was pretty international. So I've always been based in Scotland while I've been doing that, but we had a very international business. So by the, the time that we finally exited, UK was less than 10% of our overall business. So, so that gave me a lot of exposure to um, other markets and other geographies. On the investing side... I started off really just doing some small-scale private investing and just interested in early-stage companies. And so I've been doing that for around the last five years or so, I guess. And again, that gave me a lot of exposure to a lot of the local early-stage companies in Scotland, which has been really uh, fascinating to see how the ecosystem has been developing. And for a couple of years, I had a role as an investment director with an early-stage tech VC firm uh, based down in England, but covering the UK and so that was an opportunity to learn a bit more about how professional investing works. So that combination of experiences led to to where I am today. Nice. And it was one of the kind of good things about I, th- I thought about having you on the first show as well is that you have worked for kind of large corporates. Then you've done the the startup kind of world um, from mm. a couple of different kind of guises, and also uh, you mentioned kind of that that exit as well. I mean. I know a lot of people, you might have an opinion on this, but a lot of people get really hepped up on like trying to be the next unicorn. And I hear it a lot down in Manchester mm. and, and in Leeds as well, and um, where we do mm-hmm. some work. I, I don't usually buy into that part, but what I quite like is kind of that working towards an exit successfully um, and mm. having that having that strategy in place rather than being fixated on a specific valuation. Uh, is there something specific that you quite enjoyed about going from corporate to that kind of build up for selling type uh, route that you went down? 
Yeah, very much so. Uh, it's really, for me, a lot of it was about the the immediacy of it, the fact that, uh, you know, decision-making is a lot faster. You tend to have, certainly in the early stages, a really clear vision of what you're trying to set out to do. In larger organizations, there is an overall vision for the company, for the corporation. But, you know, it tends to be fairly complex by, this, by that stage. Whereas, you know, something I really uh, enjoy about the simplicity of you know, having a vision for what a product's going to do, a set of customers you want to serve, and, you know, a lot of the, the levers under your own control as to how that then progresses. So, you know, having made that jump from larger scale corporate environments into the early stage tech world, although the company I left to join didn't last very long, I was in no doubt that I wanted to stay in the early stage world after that, um, having had that experience. Nice. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what you just said there rings true for why we quite like recruiting for like tech SMEs in Scotland as well as the decision making is quicker, the product's clearer, there's less, mm-hmm. uh, there's less layers to kind of management or whatever. So, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and I suppose jumping kind of straight into what you have been doing for, oh, I mean, four and a bit months. Um, no, not even that long. Three months. Three, and a half. three months. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was kind of April well, 2020, right? So, Depends where you start counting it from. So um, we actually launched on the 20th of April, but we started talking about it on the 3rd, so we can go through all nice. this. I mean, to be fair, to do yeah. that from the 3rd to 20th is quite impressive. So yeah, <laughs> we're talking about um, talking about the Scottish Tech Army. So essentially, and you'll be able to do this better than I will, but essentially it was a kind of a response to the impacts of, of COVID-19 on, on Scotland and the technology sector. But before we go into kind of what it has become and, and kind of what people might recognize at it, is now um mm. what kind of sparked the initial idea um and was there a kind of specific goal on the 3rd of april for what it might look mm-hmm. like now or is a lot of it just been kind of rolling with the punches yeah so um the original idea for the tech army came about as a result of me being out doing my daily hour of exercise uh, walking the streets in the morning and i saw coming along the street in the other direction a guy I know who is a director of an IT services company here in Edinburgh. And we were just chatting about the impact that the situation was having on his business. This was fairly shortly after lockdown had been uh, imposed. And he was saying that a lot of the work they were doing was public sector related. And that was still carrying on by and large because the government still wanted to get the work done and they wanted to continue to support their suppliers. The challenge they were really facing was being able to start any conversations about any new projects, just because, understandably, everybody's focus was so much on the emerging crisis and what was going to be done to try and mitigate it. Yeah. So that kind of triggered a thought for me that there's an organization called CIFTEC, which is part of Scottish government, which is all about getting early stage tech companies into developed solutions for the public sector. And so that triggered the thought in my mind that that may be the best organization to look at talking to in relation to trying to use technology to address some of the challenges that were starting to be faced. The other factor that was playing into that was the fact that the furlough scheme had been introduced relatively shortly before that. And it was clear that there were going to be a significant population of people in the tech sector in Scotland who all of a sudden were going from a situation where you know they were in a job working as part of a team, delivering projects and products and overnight, more or less, that gets taken away from them. So, you know, their their main structure, their main purpose of what they do most days was no longer there for them. And the idea that a lot of them 
have got skills that could help to support people who are on the front line. So we're not all going to become doctors and nurses next week, but we do have skills that can help out those organizations that are on the front line, either because they're struggling to cope with increased demand or they are used to doing things in a physical face-to-face setting that wasn't going to be possible anymore. So on the one hand, we have organizations that we're going to be struggling to cope. On the other hand, we've got people who would like to help, but no real mechanism for them to be able to do that. And so that was where the original genesis of the idea came from. And so that was on the the 3rd of April. And my first port of call was to uh, phone up my friend and subsequently co-founder for the Scottish Tech Army, um, Peter Chaco. So Peter and I have known each other for a couple of years, and I was aware that he was on the advisory board for CivTech. So I wanted to sign him out as to whether he thought this was a conversation that was worth taking to them. And his view was that it absolutely was, and he got straight on the phone to the director of CivTech, a guy called Mark Elliott, who was also very interested. And, you know, over the course of, of that weekend, we and our call arranged with some of the senior people in the digital directorate in Scottish government to to get their feedback on it. You know, so all of that happened pretty quickly. And we decided over the course of a few days that this was something that we thought had legs and that we were keen to do. Um, and so that was the, the original genesis of where the idea came from. Nice. And when you had that conversation and realized there was something there, did did you ever think it was going to be what it is now? Or did you think it was just going to help a handful of people with potentially a handful of volunteers? Well, it was really hard to gauge, um, to be honest. So uh, we've spoken to a few people and the reaction was, was pretty universally positive. So that gave us some encouragement to think that this was an idea that would resonate with people. As I say, we had spoken with some people in the Scottish government about this who were very supportive of the concept. And we decided that the best thing to do was for us to set this up as a, an independent entity working in partnership with those in government, just because it meant we could do stuff independently and, and probably more quickly just because, you know, we, we'd had um, more or less complete latitude about how we went about doing it. And so that was the decision that we took. And from that initial set of conversations, we got to having created the company, having got it all set up, having built the website and the backend systems to the point where we launched at the end of April, the 20th of April. And that was definitely one of those moments of, you know, we're, we're really not sure what's going to happen here. Um, you know, we, are we going to throw a party and nobody's going to show up? Um, so we, we, you know, we tried to um, make sure that the, we, we minimize the risk of that. So we, we were pretty proactive in terms of contacting people that we knew in the business and the tech community to say, look, you know, we're setting this thing up. We'd really like to get your support in terms of how to publicize it. And so, you know, we set a deadline of 10 a.m. on that, that Tuesday morning and, you know, got as many people as we could lined up to share stuff on social media. And, uh, you know, to our, our relief and, and pleasure, um, the reaction we got was really great. And, you know, within that first day, we had 150 volunteers signed up. So yeah, I, remember, you know, I remember that day, they were launched like, yeah, it was, it was just everywhere. Yeah, which was, absolutely. Which was great. Yeah. So, you know, we, we were hugely grateful to all the people who helped to spread the message because, um, you know, that, that definitely, um, helped us to, to light up social media on that day. And as I say, we, we ended up with 150 people on day one. And that was a, you know, a huge boost to us in terms of the appetite of people in the tech sector to sign up, to get involved and to, to do something. So that was, that was obviously one side of the equation. Um, the other side of the equation was 
could we get enough projects that we could put people to work on? And so as part of that uh, outreach process, we tried to get in touch with people who were active in public sector, in the voluntary sector, um, in charities, to spread the word about the fact that, you know, we were putting together a team of people who were keen to help them out with, with delivering digital solutions to their problems. And we very deliberately set it out to be something which would appeal to people who were not necessarily that uh, tech savvy or au fait with, with solutions that we're looking to build. Really just bring us your problems and uh, let's see if we can help you. So we'd set it up on our website that people could suggest a project idea. And you know, pretty quickly, we started seeing some of those projects coming through. And so, you know, we were starting to see evidence in the first few days of projects were being suggested and, you know, they did look like things that we could do. And, you know, we, we were quite careful to try and make sure we were being realistic about what could be achieved because at that point, you know, we had a lot of volunteers signing up, but we didn't know how long we were going to have them for. At that point, the furlough scheme had been announced around to the end of June. So, you know, basically two months from when we launched. And so, you know, there's no way we could commit ourselves to projects that are going to be six months long or, you know, take, you know, 20 people to run them. So we tried to pick off those projects that were of the right sort of size that we could deliver them quickly. So our objective was to deliver them in days to weeks, not months to years. Uh, and to do that with, you know, small, tightly knit teams, because another facet of what we were doing was that we now had hundreds of people, none of whom knew each other, couldn't get together to meet up and chat about what we're going to do and, you know, scattered all over the country. And so, you know, we, we wanted to keep it as, as well focused and as tight as possible just to, to maximize the chances of success. And what we've seen is that there's been a very wide range of scales of projects. And, you know, we talk about the, what we call the Goldilocks projects for us would be the ones that are maybe four to six people for four to six weeks, because that's, you know, long enough with enough um, resource in the project to be able to deliver something meaningful, but not so big that we can't really get our arms around it and we can't deliver it. So there has been this, this huge range, and, and in some cases, it's been a lot smaller than that. So it's pro- problems that for people who've got the tech experience are relatively easy to solve. But if you don't, you don't even know where to start. So in some cases, it can be as simple as, you know, a few days or uh, a few hours, even if somebody's help can really make a difference to small charities that are making a, a huge impact in the community and are really struggling to be able to keep going. So, you know, that that's the kind of experience we had in the first uh, month or so in particular. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I remember you mentioned that the the makeup of it when we spoke before the show and like how it was small teams, small projects. And mm-hmm. I'm, glad, I'm glad someone like you was in charge making these decisions because I, I think if a lot of people saw it, myself included, and you saw 150 volunteers and loads of projects coming through, you would just get really excited and like, send people out to do all sorts whereas you're right you didn't you didn't know how many people were going to be volunteering for how long you don't really know i mean the company who are asking for your help might not be able to commit to a length of time either so like yeah doing short Mm. short kind of um outcome based projects that were as you said potentially very simple if you have the skills so that was one Mm -hmm. of the things i was going to ask was there many companies that maybe had some digital skills or digital aspirations but weren't able to keep going down the route they were going down or was it almost entirely companies where they were just getting by and the the addition of technology and digital would be brilliant? Hmm. So, uh, well, first thing, it's, it's worth saying that, generally speaking, we've not been working with 
commercial entities with companies as such. So it's mostly been public sector and third sector. Um, and there's a very deliberate reason for that, which is that we have people who've signed up as volunteers and we did, took the view that we didn't want to ask them to do work on projects for you know, companies that were, were generating profit and value out of it because effectively that's unpaid internship type stuff and we didn't want to to put people in that, that situation. But, you know, with that qualification, yeah, absolutely. We had some organizations who um, they had been using suppliers to to do some work for them. Those suppliers had furloughed all their staff, so they were no longer able to do it. So we were able to step in and kind of fill the gap there. One of the guiding principles that's been really important for us uh, in relation to that is that you know, we have not set this up to take away work that should normally be done by companies in the tech sector. That was a very clear direction from Scottish government in particular that, you know, they did not want to be taking advantage of the situation and, you know, getting work done for nothing, which they would normally be paying for. So it's very much around that sort of situation where the normal supply is no longer available to do it. Uh, so companies are not able to, uh, or organizations are not able to carry on doing what they've been doing, or they may not have had a tech solution in place previously. They may not even have needed one really because they did it all face to face and suddenly they can't do that. So there's a new set of requirements and um, there are also examples where organizations were seeing greatly increased demand and they were struggling just to coordinate everything they were doing. Um, so, you know, one example of that is a project we did for an organization up in Aberdeen, which uh, provides care services to vulnerable uh, people in the community. And they have about 20 sites around uh, Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire. So, um, it's an organization called Voluntary Services Aberdeen. And they, the nature of what they do means that they do have to do it face-to-face. So they had been very proactive in terms of making sure they had enough personal protective equipment for their staff and making sure that their staff and the people they were serving were going to be kept safe. But the challenge they were having was that because they'd never really had to deal with this problem at this scale before, they were trying to manage it all in a spreadsheet. And so they got in touch to say, you know, we're really struggling with this. Can you help us to put something in place that will help us to manage um, all our stocks of PPE. So they have a central warehouse. They've got about 20 locations that are scattered around the area. And, you know, as soon as you send a spreadsheet out, it's out of date. So somebody says, well, I'd like, you know, whatever it is, 10,000 pairs of gloves. And it says in the spreadsheet, you've got them, but actually you don't because somebody's already requested them from somewhere else. Yeah. So that was um, an example of, you know, they were thrown into a different set of circumstances and you know, they had an immediate requirement. So that was that was a an ideal project for us to work on. That was very much one of these four to six people, four to six weeks kind of projects. And we were um, were able to work with the team there. They were very proactive themselves. So, you know, they they committed their own time to work with our team. And we, between us, were able to identify and implement a solution for them that meant that they could cope with that problem they had. And the feedback we got from that was tremendous. You know, the people who were uh, in the... um, centers where they're delivering care, you know, feedback was, well, this is great. This is just like shopping on Amazon. Uh, so it was really easy to use. Um, and it meant that the people who were managing all the, the inventory had, you know, real-time updates of who needed what, where. Um, they could see, you know, are we going to be running short or something so we can order some more? So, you know, that that was a solution that was able to help them deal with a situation that they'd, they'd really never had to to deal with before. So it was very much driven by the the pandemic and the issues that that caused. Um, and, you know, that, that's been a, it was a good project for us and for them in its own right. But it actually opened our eyes to the possibility of, can we do something that we can scale? 
so taking that set of requirements, they're not unique in having those requirements. There are other organizations that would potentially have that. So what we're doing at the moment is to say, let's take the solution that we've developed working with them and let's make it available in the cloud in a way that other organizations can sign up and use it. And, you know, like any other web-based service, they go on, they sign up, they load up the data and they can be up and running in six hours instead of six weeks. So, you know, we're working on getting that set up now and we're, you know, we're expecting to launch that um, within the next few weeks so that hopefully tens of organizations can benefit from the original project that was done. Yeah, I mean, that actually leads really nicely into the question I was going to ask. Which it's an amazing example of a company that, I suppose, A, didn't have this problem at the start of mm-hmm. April or the, at the end of March, yeah. um, but also B, would have no idea how to implement what is probably a relatively simple data dashboard solution, but only mm-hmm. simple if you've got any sort mm-hmm. of technical skill. And yeah, what I was going to say, and you've touched on it already, but kind of given that you started it as a a kind of reaction to COVID. Um, mm. Obviously, you've just said that there is kind of scope to scale. Um, mm. So uh, would that be the kind of plan moving forward for a few of your projects, getting them on to some sort of kind of like public, publicly available resource? Mm. Um, and then you can potentially provide support or even let people just kind of go away and use it as, as, they, as they want to? Very much so, yes. Um, so this is this is the first example of that, but we're certainly looking for other examples where either we can extend the existing solution that I just talked about, or we can implement something in a different area, which again can be applicable across many different organisations. Um, so you know that's one of the things that has taken us from a position that you, know, you were alluding to earlier of, you know, there's an immediate problem. Let's see what we can do to solve it. To the position we're now. We believe that there's actually a longer-term contribution that we as an organization, as a community of volunteers, can make. The the kind of things that we talked about so far are primarily around how do we provide solutions to those kind of organizations that don't have the budget and don't have the expertise to implement them in as way, a way that makes it as easy as possible for them to get on board with it. So that's one part of it. Another area that's been really powerful for, for us is to see the effect of creating that community and what we've seen is that the volunteers that have signed up have ranged very widely in terms of the skills that they've got, the levels of experience they've got, the stage of career they're at. So we have everything from, you know, undergraduates who are just starting out their um, journey in the t- into the tech sector through to you know, very senior people who've got decades of experience. And that's been part of the model as well is, you know, with a project like that is to say, you know, we can start with a core team that has got lots of experience and can, you know, can manage the project and can oversee it. But we can also bring in people who are earlier in their careers who can gain experience of working on a project like that. They can get some, some guidance and some steer from the senior people who are working on the project. So it helps them to, to grow their experience. And, you know, that's another theme that's emerged over the last three months or so is that, you know, for the, for, for the longest time now, the tech sector compared to many, it's been kind of the land of milk and honey in terms of employment. You know, there's been a skill shortage. There's been lots of demand for people. Um, and so people who are going through education and training in the tech sector, you know, there's a pretty good outlook for them in terms of job prospects. And, you know, we've certainly seen in the very short term that that has been dramatically reduced. So, you know, we've worked uh, with example, for example, with CodeClan, just, you know, the Scotland's Digital Skills Academy, you know, so they, they take people through an intensive program of skills training 
to give them either you know, programming or data science skills and equip them to start going to the world of work. And you know, we've seen that the the opportunities for a lot of people who've come through that program have dried up. Now that will come back, but it's going to take some time. And you know, they're in that classic conundrum of you've got the skills, you have the training, but you haven't got the experience. So how do you get that first role? It's the, you know, the catch 22 of, you know, I'm sorry, we can't employ you because you don't have the experience. Well, how can I get the experience if you don't give me the job? Um, so we see, you know, that in effect, there's, there's a widening of the gap between the education and, and training world and the world of employment. So one of the things that we think we can uh, contribute to is helping to build a bridge between those two. So by giving people the opportunity to work on this kind of projects, they do get that practical experience. They do start to work with more experienced people. They learn some of the soft skills about how you work in teams, how you work with you know, customers or client groups, um, and you can see the impact of the work you're doing. And so you know, when they're looking for employment, it helps them on that journey because they've now actually had the opportunity to put their skills into practice. And so, you know, there's an opportunity there that we can help them on that journey. So that's another thing we think is going to be an area that we can contribute in for, for quite some time to come. You know, as, as the, this, the, um, the economy starts to recover, you know, we can help people find their way into roles in, in the tech sector or indeed in other sectors that are looking to transform digitally because, you know, I was on a call today with someone who is in a different sector entirely. And they, like many, are saying, you know, this has been a bit of a wake-up call for our sector. We've got some organizations in the sector who are very forward-thinking and who are, you know, already well ahead in terms of digital solutions. But there are a lot that are, uh, you know, not nearly in that place yet. So, you know, there's an opportunity for us to contribute towards that economic recovery piece of, you know, how do organizations do things differently in future going forward? And, you know, again, the person I was talking to mentioned the challenges around productivity in the UK you know, is lower than it is in most other developed countries. And that's a problem. So, you know, how can we use technology to help with that? So, you know, all those things together mean that we see that there's definitely a role that we can fulfill going forwards. Um, that means that it's not just going to be the, you know, the three to six months uh, immediate response kind of activity that we had originally envisaged. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Um, you can definitely come back. So you've answered most of my questions without me having to ask them, which is amazing. Um, you hit the nail on the head with the code client example, though. So, um, so the AI podcast that we do, um, Stephanie Boyle is going to be on that. Um, uh, well, the 19th of August, it'll get posted. We talked about that quite a lot. It's like, how do you, uh, and she actually invited me to speak to the students last week and said, uh, mm. uh, how, do you, how do you stand out? And what is a really weird time to be joining the kind of technology workforce if you like um mm. and one of the things i said was kind of uh, selling much more on the course itself because you're doing something quite impressive in a short amount of time that's mm. quite intensive and also mm. one, of the, one of the things they've had to do is like build a, a working application in a week in a remote team of people they've never met before i mean that's yeah. that's, that's really impressive so shout about it mm -hmm. but the other thing is, like, if you've decided to volunteer for the tech army, and this doesn't just go for CodeCloud, and this is, like, for anyone that's affected from a job point yeah. of view, you can talk yeah. about working with a team you've never met before, working in an organization mm -hmm. that spun out during COVID, so, like, you delivered real, like, live projects in an environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the complexity of the projects doesn't even really matter. It's the fact that you got mm -hmm. something up and working and had, and had a positive impact either on the... Uh, running of an organization or the kind of the fact that they still get to go and do what they do so yeah i mean i think it's uh, people need to 
kind of really shout about that impact um, when they are looking because there'll be a lot of people and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this necessarily but there'll be a lot of people that have been on furlough and just have quite enjoyed a few months off so I mean if someone is volunteering and doing all these other things you would hope that would stand them in good stead but you mentioned as well that you've had people from all walks of life so I mean I know you said you've had recent grads you've had really seniors I'm sure you said you've had a couple of people that are retired and just decided just they they want to help out so a whole a whole mix of things we really have. So um, we, we have had that huge range uh, in terms of Asian experience. We've also had people who are in full-time jobs, you know, who, who haven't been on furlough and haven't been mid-redundant, but signed up because, again, they just wanted to, to play their part. They wanted to contribute to helping their community, their society recover from what they were seeing all around them. Uh, you know, we've had examples of people who are in full-time roles, but just make an unbelievable contribution in terms of the amount of discretionary effort they're putting in to support the work that we're doing. That's and incredible. so, um, you know, that that's one of the reasons that we think, you know, there's, there's longer term validity behind this because we, we have seen that level of commitment and it's one of the things that's been really instructive. So my, I mentioned, um, my co-founder, Peter, um, who is also from the early stage tech world. You know, so he and I have lived 20 plus years in the world of startups. We have never seen anything that's grown this fast and this quickly, uh, this big, um, than we have in the case of the tech army in, in the course of three months. Um, and the fact that all, that's all happened remotely, it's all happened using, you know, online collaboration tools. It's quite instructive, really, in terms of, you know, what can be achieved in that sort of situation. And, you know, lots of organizations have had some somewhat similar experience of, you know, they would never have imagined they could have done this without having been together working in the same place. Um, but, you know, that, that's been one of the things that's been really powerful for us. And, you know, it's definitely been the case that... Right. You know, it's the old adage of people get out of it what they put into it. You know, we've we've seen, uh, you know, again, just taking some of the examples from Code Clan, we've seen people who come from Code Clan, they've they've jumped right in, they've involved themselves in in a range of different projects and activities, and we're now seeing a number of them starting to get paid roles uh, with companies. Uh, you know, and we, just today somebody posted on our our internal Slack workspace to say, you know, I am absolutely convinced that this time I spent here has helped me to do this both in terms of maintaining my motivation, giving me some of that experience, um, you know, helping me to broaden my network. And so, you know, they've, they've definitely seen the, you know, the benefits in terms of their own personal outcomes, as well as the satisfaction they've had from, you know, the, the contribution they made within the tech army. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and just before we get on to uh, kind of where to find all things tech army related and also just to how to get involved um you mentioned 150 volunteers from day one what are we at now and also i suppose yeah. if there's any numbers on like projects that you're working on or have delivered or anything else that's, that's worth shouting about i suppose absolutely well yeah i need no second asking to do that so we're up over a thousand volunteers now um it's about 1050 seeing uh, a steady stream of people signing up uh, so you know the number's still going up you know, as you would expect with that number of people, some people are more active than others, you know, but everybody's um, be given access to our Slack environment to help them to get engaged. Uh, in terms of the number of projects, we've had over 250 projects that have been submitted to us uh, and more than half of them we've you know, either started work on or we've completed and delivered. Again, we're still seeing a pretty steady stream of new projects coming in. So again, this reinforces, you know, gives our confidence that this is something that has that has legs that is sustainable, uh, and of course, it will change over time. You know, we have seen, you know, 
and delighted to see people being called back from furlough into their regular jobs. Um, you know, that, that's typically been among the more senior people um, who've, who've been called back first as you know companies start to kind of spin up their activities again. And that inevitably does give us some challenges in terms of, you know, people who have been you know, really very active contributors are, are not able to continue at that, certainly at that level anymore. But, you know, we've seen other people step forward and, and pick up those kind of activities. So, yeah, 1,000 plus volunteers, 250 plus projects, and, you know, both of those numbers still continuing to to increase steadily week on week. It's just uh it's just incredible some of those numbers and, and the work that's been done. It's really, really great. Um, and I think a lot of people always say Scotland has a good like tech ecosystem, but like, it's quite easy to say when, like you said, it's all been kind of land and milk and honey. So it's quite easy to like, I don't know, pretend it's all amazing. But when you, when, when the chips are down, it's been, it's been even more impressive. I suppose anyone listening who wants to try and get involved or thinks they have something to offer, what's the mm. best way for them to do that? I suppose either from an individual point of view or if a company thinks they can offer something or, or need help. You know, the kind of central point for all of that is our website. So it's scottishtechrma.org. And that has a page that you can either uh, sign up as a volunteer or you can um, put forward a suggestion for a project. Um, and so that's an entry point into that. When people sign up as a volunteer, they'll, they'll, they'll get a welcome email, which gives them details of how to get into our Slack workspace. So of that 1,050, there's almost 900 of those have actually signed up and joined the Slack workspace. Which you know is is kind of the next the next level of involvement is you know at least being an active part of the community, and um, you know there's there's you know hundreds of those are are active on a weekly basis. So it's a very lively community. So I really encourage people you know whatever level of ability they've got, whatever their skill set and experience is, you know I'm I'm confident that they would you know, find a, a valuable experience to sign up and be part of that. <clears throat> you mentioned companies. I mean we've been very fortunate that we've had great support right from the early days from a number of companies who've given us their support free of charge. So that includes a PR firm, Hotgen Roof, that have done our PR for um, Porridge Design that did all of the brand and, and identity work for us. We had MBM Commercial who did legal work for us. You've got um, a company called Amicus, an Edinburgh tech company who are doing all our ID verification for us. And you know, companies like those have really all just thrown themselves into this to give us their time. Um, one in particular that we mentioned um, in the, the recruitment field, um, Head Resourcing, who have given us access to, well, they, they asked if any of their staff were willing to volunteer to help us because one of the big challenges we knew we were going to have from day one was to say, you know, we've got all these projects and all these people. How do we match the right people to the right projects? And of course, that's what you know, people in the recruitment industry do all day, every day. So, you know, they invited people from their staff who were on a furlough to volunteer. So, you know, they they jumped right in and they've been a, a huge contribu- contributor to what we've been able to achieve as well. So all those companies um, you know, have really got involved. Um, even companies that, you know, they may not have been delivering their services directly, but, uh, you know, they've encouraged their staff to get involved if they've been on furlough. So just generally being supportive in terms of, um, you know, setting the climate, if you like, for their staff, you know, we think this is a great thing for you to get involved with. So, you know, all, all that's contributed to where we've got to today. Yeah, no, 100%. And some, some really good companies in there. I might have to edit a bit of head resourcing, but no, I'm only joking. I know. I knew uh, no, the word left my mouth. I no, I'm joking. I know, <laughs> I know some of those guys quite well, and they're, they're a good yeah. bunch. No, I mean, it's amazing to see all those companies come together. Like you said, even though they're, I mean, a lot, obviously they're doing it voluntarily as well. Um, yeah. And I suppose uh, it's the last thing to kind of finish on, where's the best place for people to kind of just like keep up to date with things? Obviously the website, but you're pretty active on Twitter, right? And there's also a, yeah. a podcast series as well, I think. Mm-hmm. 
We have, yeah, absolutely. So from the outset, social media has been a really big part of gaining awareness and publicizing what we've been doing. So uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're active on Twitter. Scott Tech Army is the, the handle on Twitter. We have equally active on LinkedIn. So Scottish Tech Army on LinkedIn. Um, so whichever your platform of choice is, you can keep up to date with us on that. We do um, have a, a podcast that we just started. So um, this is another amazing example. You know, one of our volunteers, Kirsty McIntosh, just dropped a note and said, I think we should do a po- podcast. What do you think? I'm sure. Absolutely, knock yourself out. And, you know, so she's just taking it, uh, taking the initiative on that, got it up and running. You know, we're, we're four episodes in now and she's got a whole um, calendar of content set up. Um, so that's accessible through our website as well. Um, you know, we've got the, the podcast page on there. That's also where we post a lot of case studies and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, on our blog, we've got, you know, video testimonials from some of the organizations we've worked with, you know, and that, that's so heartening to see people just explaining the impact that what, the, the the work our volunteers have been doing has had on their organization. So head to the website and social media is, is uh, where to go. Nice. I can't believe you've done four episodes of a podcast and you're already further ahead than I am with having it on the website. I've still <laughs> not got mine on the website and I've done it since November. Uh, although, although this is the first one, so maybe I'll try and get ahead of the game um, for the Scotland episodes. Um, no, I, I mean, thanks cool. thanks again for your time. Really, really do appreciate it. Um, I urge anyone to go and check out the Tech Army. I, I don't think I appreciated the scale when I first saw the posts um, back in April mm-hmm. and to see the progression and I, I know a few people that have been involved and uh, it's pretty mm-hmm. incredible so it'll be great to see what happens next and, uh, and where it ends up but yeah no I'll, I'll definitely keep a close mm-hmm. eye on it um, and good luck with uh, with expanding as well Okay well thanks so much for, for the invitation to join the po- the podcast it's been uh, no great to chat about it and um, yeah um, if you fancy joining up then you know I'd, uh, we'd like to see you there as well <laughs> Thanks Alistair <laughs>